0: Once again, thanks for jumping on board the ASX Market Goss podcast. For no more than 30 minutes, we're going to dig a little deeper with ASX listed small cap companies, their focus, the future, the highs, the lows, and what's next. A part of conversation is to get to know our guests at a personal level, their experiences, possibly their mentors, their slips and slides, even down to their coffee of choice or how they like to get away from the share price and investment decision making. And our guest today is Mike Rosenstrike from Helix Resources, the Managing Director, ASX code HLX. Mike, appreciate you coming in um, in one of our first podcasts. Um, Do you come in with some trepidation?
1: Of course I do. I'm I'm intrepid. What could I what insight can I offer somebody? And, you know, am I going to overshare or whatever it is? But look, let's have some fun.
0: Exactly. Again, uh, you're talking to a very simple person when it comes to one, the share market, two mining, the three being in your type of role. Tell us a bit about the, the birth and the, 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 the history in a in a snapshot format of, of Helix.
1: Well Helix was listed in about nineteen eighty six on the back of platinum assets in New South Wales. And since then, it's had a lot of share market ups and downs. So it's actually had genuine success. It's made gold discoveries. It's made iron ore f- um, entries into the iron ore industry. And uh, and and more recently, in the sort of the last decade, it's had some uh, copper discovery success in central New South Wales, which is the core of our focus now. Uh, in, in the last five, ten years, it's probably regressed a little bit into a typical junior company, living somewhat hand-to-mouth. I got the opportunity to lead the company in early 21, and I was really determined. You know, you've got this cliche, we've got this big land package, it's all underexplored. And I thought, there is a big land package, and it's in a great neighbourhood, lots of copper around, but I'm if I'm going to get involved, I'm not going to leave it underexplored. And to properly explore something, you have to do regional exploration. But regional exploration doesn't make headlines. So to do regional exploration, you need to be prepared to take risks. And to take risks, obviously failure. And most exploration fails. So you've got to have a good treasury position. So the strategy is focus on the Cobar area, be well-funded. And that's the strategy we're executing. We've raised $20 million in the last two years.
0: You talk of Cobar. Again, a lot of people who know Helix would know where it is, New South Wales, which is orange, I think, is where a lot of your centralised business staffing is now. So tell us Cobar. Why is Cobar such an exciting site that Helix are a part of? And I know there's other big companies that are around that area.
1: Yeah it's in a geological sense it's got all the hallmarks of a really strong base metal mineralized district that's got that endowment aspect it's got a it's got a prolific history in terms of copper that goes back about 150 years around the Cobay area itself and then it's got some long-lived steady operations we've got eris resources to our north with their triton operations they've been running there for something like 30 years finding new deposits mining deposits and their last discovery after 30 years of being there was only in 2019 so there's ongoing prospectivity and then you've got amazing deposits like Glencore's CSA mine to the west of us An endowment of well over one and a half million tons of contained copper and probably one of the top 10 in terms of grade of copper deposits around the world they've been operating there for something like 60 years 50,000 tons of copper a year very good high quality. This is a high-grade deposit. And from a personal perspective, I like the aspect of chasing grade because obviously it gives robustness and margins to a business, but also grade is a great way to lower your carbon footprint and to sort of get and in sink into this energy transition, so that, hence, you know, it's it sort of ticks a lot of boxes in that regard.
0: You talk about the uh, risk you have to take and uh, the punt that is Helix and and Copper and and the gold projects and and, and Campbellago and the like. So you got to get money. Money comes in. You talk of twenty million dollars. Um, how do you convince people? How do you just dumb it down for those listening who are thinking, "Oh, you know, do I do I want to get in at the share price? Do I want to uh, hope that something great comes of Helix? How do you convince people to to invest?"
1: There's actually another part to that question, if I could be so presumptuous. One hundred percent. Particularly after the company's had a long history, and perhaps a history more recently where there's been sort of disappointments and things like that. So, in that case, how do you convince them? I think one, you present a new management team and a new strategy, and in this and articulate that strategy clearly. And so, what we've done in the last two years is we've cleaned out any peripheral assets, and we've demonstrated to people this is going to be our core focus. And I think that that just in it alone gets people sort of sitting up, and and then you execute and you you raise money progressively. And I guess the other aspect to that is you have success and you demonstrate the leverage that being exposed to an early stage exploration company can bring. So I think in May of 21, we, picked, we chose to go back to the Cambelago uh, prospect, which was one of our advanced projects, for the first time since 2013. The second hole we drilled, we didn't even have to post the assays. We just posted a picture of the core and the stock price went up five times. And I think that sort of excitement and, gee, these guys are actually doing something. So I think it's about being uh, shown to be wanting to do work, being active, new strategy, revitalising the company. Mike Rosenstrike, Helix
0: Resources Managing Director. Uh, Mike, you come in at a tough time, a tough time, COVID time. You can't control weather, you can't control elements, you can't control access in and out of... Of sites and like, has it been a stress on you, a strain on you?
1: Tim, I've, I've been through lots of tough times. I've been in this industry for something like 35 years and I've had some tremendous highs and I've had some tough times. Um, look, I agree that this, these access issues have been very frustrating. And in, and so what it's done is I've tried to present a strategy that's double-barreled. We've got advanced projects, they've got real high-grade copper, we're going to drill them, they generate news, that's what keeps shareholders engaged. The side text is we've got to have a very active exploration program testing regional targets to keep that pipeline of prospects full. As I said earlier, with my rather unusual take on risk and failing and exploration, which people don't really want to hear, but it's the reality, I've I've got to test lots of targets to be able to get some to move through that pipeline. I genuinely believe that they're there and the indications are. But when you can't get on the ground to do that testing, because in the first year that we were active, it was drought-breaking rain and the farmers were, you know, really enjoying that and they were getting really busy double cropping and all of this, that created an issue for us. But, you know, this view was great. Good luck to them. Go for it. Subsequent year, it's been all about flooding rains, salvaging crops and that's been very depressing for the landowners so quite frankly they don't even want physically we can't get on the ground and secondly they just don't want to talk to us they've got other issues I, I was really pleased to spend a couple of weeks there in January and I did a lot of driving around don't tell Avis about the hybrid Corolla I drove around on the gravel roads but I had a good look around and the country's really drying up and I can see a lot of the crops are off and we're in that I think we're in a really good zone to pick up the pace of that work. So look, it is tough in that regard, particularly if you say you're going to do things and you can see you're struggling. So we just, the way I deal with the stress, be open and transparent about the issues. And therefore, the the, the, the stress, it doesn't get shared, but it's not like I'm withholding anything. It is what it is.
0: Obviously, we talk of where sitting here in the West Perth office and you've also got a base here in WA, but there has been a, a pretty sizable shift to move predominantly. That's where all your staffing is now is over yep. in New South Wales. Are we going to, is the Perth office stay open to house your, yourself or what's the, what's the process, what's the future look like?
1: Well, just why, so we put an entirely new team in place and I was really fortunate to pick some excellent people to come and work with me. We've got five full-time geos out of Orange. so That's quite a significant infrastructure. But the reason I did that, it's the same thing when I was operating in Tasmania. I want people to basically live on or near the site. I want them to go home most nights that they can. And I want them to be totally invested in the work that they're doing with us. I don't want a fly-in, fly-out contract-type workforce. Mm. Orange is a fantastic place to live. And we have attracted a top-rate team. So that's sort of why we've pushed everything out to Orange. In terms of a corporate existence from Perth, it is right now. I've just come. If you want to see the dust on my clothes from cleaning out our office in Subiaco, we are. That'll be. We'll be cleaning that out in the next few weeks. We won't have a. We will only have a, corp, a virtual corporate office. I think is the phrase. Look, we're a good team. You know this thing about being present, clocking in, clocking out. I don't care about that. People just know what they're accountable to do. I don't care if they do it in their pajamas, if they do it at home, or whatever. We've got a wonderful support financial administrative team, based in various suburbs around Perth. We use the technology; it saves money and it keeps everyone happy, and we actually work better.
0: Well, that's interesting. You say has that been inspired by the fact is that it was work from home during COVID?
1: Absolutely, and also I've been doing a lot of stuff overseas and things. And you just the reality is that you rely on things like teams and Zooms, and I do acknowledge it's harder to establish relationships and a rapport with people. You just when you're over the electronic media, you just don't tend to perhaps have some of those side conversations. perhaps time is more of a premium. You can have a conversation with somebody and perhaps not even know who their football team is. you know and so I'm not disparaging of the personal contact, but just in terms of business day-to-day yes no things, as long as you're comfortable to get on the phone or get onto some communication device. So that you don't feel uncomfortable flying solo, COVID has been a real impetus in terms of changing that culture.
0: And has the staff, how was that received by them to say well, they could probably feel the change in walking into the office in Subiaco and seeing it, for what a better word, running its race? Uh, how did they, do they love that? And are you, are you going to be keeping an eye on productivity? And, you know, I,
1: and, and. Thanks you for know. putting the words in my mouth. They love it. We have um, quite a few people with young families, and I love the fact that we can bring talent on board that's at a level that may not often exist in a junior company like ours, simply because we're prepared to be flexible in how we accommodate people's different circumstances. They love it, Tim.
0: It sounds great. It's a very positive, and you're an incredibly positive person. I want to talk to you about copyright. I saw one of your presentations, even if the question was asked. Um, again, we're dumbing it down for me, right? And we're going to have people listening and probably going to say, oh, I knew this, but I don't, so please uh, bear with me. Copper comes in all different colours. Can you tell me the colours copper comes in? Because I've I've gone up seeing copper and it's brown and there's nothing else but brown copper. <laughs> um, why is it? Why am I so simple thinking that? And what colours does it come in? And what's the difference? Just for those
1: who are listening, it's actually a great question. And it's and I do try in our ASX releases to just give a little explanation around that because the one of the great things about copper exploration is that we're able to report visual results, which we do. If you're a gold explorer, it's unless you've got visible gold, which is somewhat unusual, you really can't until you get your assays. And we've got this time lag with assays. So when we drill and we're reporting visual copper mineralization and we talk about green or blue minerals, they are what we call oxide minerals. So they're uh, copper that's been affected by weathering or oxidation. So they're called azurite or malachite. And they are part of an group of minerals. They're not really oxides, but don't worry about it. They've been affected by weathering. Generally, they tend to be shallower. So in a copper deposit that outcrops, you'll get lots of blue and green colour often. And then as you get deeper in, in, say, away from the weathering impacts, you might come down to what we call sulfides. And what I want to find in our drill cause in the sulfides is long sticks of brassy yellow colour. And we did show some photographs of that on the 7th of February. That's A common copper sulfide mineral called chalcopyrite. And that's a sulfide, iron, uh, copper, S2. And um, those are the minerals that we put into concentrator plants to float. So the oxide minerals respond to acid. They need a different process flow sheet to the sulfides. So that's why you might often think, who cares if it's blue, green, yellow, or brassy? It's because they're actually quite distinct um, in their mineralogical response to you know, processing flow well, share. That, does that... No, that's good. Okay. That's
0: good. And, uh, and we, because, of course, being a podcast also, we can go back and dissect it a bit more and have a look at some more pictures. And okay. you have been very prominent on, on, on socials and media, should I say, in regards to um, Helix, which is absolutely brilliant. But I just want to know, um, in regards to gold, where does gold sit inside the company?
1: We do have a modest gold resource. I think geologically we don't really understand it. And we are, I'm really focused on delivering to shareholders the copper story. There's not significant overlap in terms of the occurrence of the discrete gold deposits with the copper. But because we're taking this very regional view, we will, in fact, in the next months be overlapping some of our general exploration with this areas of gold mineralization particularly on our western tenements. So I'm not focused on finding gold at the moment, but as we do that regional work, if it's there, it will come. On the eastern tenements we have, where we have a slightly different style of mineralisation, we actually have a little gold credit in with the copper mineralisation. And to the north, Eris, um, in their processing plants, they also have you know, we have copper sulfide minerals that we've just talked about. We have a little bit of gold. We might have a little bit of zinc sulfide minerals and things of that nature. So when you concentrate them in a, in a flotation concentrator plant, the gold will often say, well, you want it to end up in the copper con where you get paid for it. So the gold is interesting. It's a credit. It's there as part of the mineralization at, um, on the eastern tenement trend around Colorina and in the, in the western area. Perhaps there are distinct gold deposits. We found a few shallow ones. I'm not focused on finding the deeper ones at the moment if they exist. I think it's a different geology and a different sort of time frame, but they will come.
0: We're going to ask you shortly in regards to what the future looks like and where you want the company to be in maybe five years' time, and if you do set those goals itself. We are going to dig a little bit deeper and see how comfortable you are going down this line. So a little bit to know about your story, Mike, oh, Mike Strike. Of course, keep it simple. Coffee of choice.
1: Um, in first thing in the morning, a strong cough. It's one I make myself. It's a mocha pot. So it's a, it's about three shots of coffee and a little bit of milk. It gets you going? Yes.
0: <laughs> what is your first task on a work-related day? You've had the shave. You've had your breakfast. You've driven out of home. What's your first task that you'd like to do to get your day started with your staff, either on the East Coast or around?
1: Uh um, Really, the first thing, and I'm a little bit annoyed to say, admit it, is check my emails and just make sure I'm on top of what's coming through. Urgent, not so urgent. That's, that's the first thing. And then I quite often make myself a little list for what I want to do for the day. And then the day gets away on me. And at the end of the day, I look through my list and think, <laughs> my goodness, how come I didn't get to any of that? So
0: are you a suit wearer?
1: Look, I, I was. Can I share a silly story with you on the suits? I came out of a mining um, background, and then I got a job in a merchant bank at Rothschild yep. down, down here. Yep. And uh, so I had to go out and buy a suit, and uh, and so I was there for a week or two. And one day I showed up in a short sleeve shirt, a tie, and this brand new black vinyl briefcase
0: <laughs> that, that my
1: mining company <laughs> friends gave me as a going away gift. I got reminded about this the other day, and I show up there, and and one of and this is all these bright people around me there and one of the guys who was a real wag said to me oh Mike the photocopy is over there <laughs> and uh, so I was looking like a photocopy fix it I don't know if my style and suits got any better but no I don't in fact now you'll see me on some podcast in a t-shirt but
0: uh, that's all right moving times mm-hmm. of course and yes I mean can you send a fax while you're at it yes as they say do you read
1: absolutely yeah, yeah what's,
0: what's, what takes your fancy
1: uh all kinds of genres of reading. Um, I guess right, uh, biographies I like, and right now I'm reading a really evocative science fiction book by an author called Emily sinjin Mandel. Uh, it's called Sea of Tranquility. Highly recommended. Haven't finished. So if you haven't read it, don't tell me how it ends. <laughs> Wonderful author.
0: Work life balance. Has it all? Has it been a challenge at times? Um, have you always got it right? And is there a watershed moment where you think, "No, I've got to." Pair it back, my time investment, my mental space, uh, or, or are you just you've got it down pat?
1: I don't think you ever get it down pat. I've always got it right, absolutely not, and talk to my wife about that. But you do what you have to do, is the terrible cliche. Fly in, fly out. When I had a when when we had our first child, on a two and one week roster, which was a fantastic roster for the day, that was very tough on the family, particularly my wife, particularly being in Perth without any family support. Other times. You know, you try to get it right. I had an incredible experience, actually, not long working with Rothschild, where my son became chronically ill, like seriously ill. In fact, he had a very poor prognosis. And I'd only been at the bank for maybe five or six weeks. And the chairman of the bank and, and the team of Perth, the, the guy running it there, he just came to me. I just went to him and said, look, this has happened. You have just employed me. I don't know how long I'm going to stay. In fact, I, I can't stay. i got it. This is my priority. And they just said, you go and do what you need to do and you come back when you're ready. And they kept me on salary. And when, and, and the whole process went for some months. And luckily we had a great outcome and, um, a, a surprisingly great outcome. But that generosity and that, um, and then the chairman of the bank, Rick Lee, he saw me a month or two later. He asked how my son was going. How was Ben, Mike? And uh, that, was, that was a pivotal moment in terms of the culture that I try to instil in organisations that I lead. So,
0: Reading, family, obviously important. What about downtime? What complete downtime that you, do you play golf? Do you garden? Do you like the holiday? Are you a believer in fast cars? Do you go to the footy? What's, what's your downtime away I, from this?
1: I am interested in cars. I like unusual cars, and I've owned some um, unusual ones. Tell it's-
0: us about the most unusual car you've owned.
1: Uh, I could talk about the 1984 uh, Ford Falcon, but I won't. Probably the <laughs> probably the old Saab Sports Coupe, um, 900i or something. I had an Alpha 159. That was one of the good ones. Not so interesting <laughs> as some of the early ones. But generally what I like to do in terms of downtime, I'm very fond of music. I have sort of an independent leaning. I grew up in a town in New Zealand in Dunedin, where I went to university there. And it was like the Seattle of... Um, the South Seas, if you like, and I've very much got immersed in that, which I've kept going. And my wife and I like to do sort of travel and hiking and sort of explore the Kimberley and things like that. So I am increasingly looking for that work-life balance, and um, and that's the sort of things we like to do.
0: Are you winning in the role at Helix? And what what do you class as winning?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. Am I winning? I'd never phrased it like that. Um Yes and no. If I put, because you've got to see it from different perspectives. Because really, what I'm to do at Helix, what I have to do is I have to deliver returns for shareholders, bottom line. And I need to keep um, pushing the strategy to make sure that that's what we're setting ourselves up to do in regards to our activities. Broadly, yes, I believe we are winning, but we're not because we're not necessarily in recent months delivering those returns for shareholders. So I think we're set up and we're well poised. We're doing all this regional work. I think we are we have kicked some goals, some serious goals recently, and we've now got to carry on and, and deliver on those. Um, we, and part of that delivery is to improve the engagement with shareholders, get them to understand the story better. What do blue minerals mean? What do green minerals mean? What does downhole geophysics mean? And that's why the comment about increased videos and social media, that's exactly the purpose for that.
0: And that's exactly the purpose for this podcast. And we appreciate you coming in. Uh, Mike Rosenstrike from Helix Resources. So Mike, where do you see Helix in, have you given a time frame, five years maybe too far down the track? Where do you see it in 12 months time and then maybe five years down the track?
1: Look, I, I am thinking more like 12 to 24 months time frames. And uh, where do I see the company in that time? Look, our our objective, our goal is to find at least 200,000 tonnes of contained copper and resources. I believe that's the kind of threshold where you would start to look at setting up an independent operation. Mind you, all around us, there's something like six processing plants, each one of which is capable of processing our ore. So, you know, if if, if there's an opportunity there to work with one of those guys or do something with them, fantastic. But the fundamental theme underneath that needs to be to be on that path to delivering copper tons. So in about 12 to 18 months, I'd like to see that we have increased the resources that we have on our two deposits, Cz and Cambelago, into a meaningful number. At the moment, it's only about 50,000 tons of contained copper. I won't put a number on where I'd like to go, but I'd like to increase the resources there, demonstrate a growth path and a viability path. Yeah, yeah, but is it viable? Yes, we believe it is mining because we've mineable because we've done some preliminary work. We haven't yet, but also importantly, I'd like to demonstrate that the emerging prospects, some of these new VTem surveys or results that we flew um, a year ago or so ago now, that they're coming through to be prospects. So people look at Helix now, uh, then, and they'll see that Mike was talking about two hundred thousand tons. You know, I can see that two hundred thousand tons coming down the road, and then our neighbours might start to look more closely at us. New people may look at us, but more importantly, investors will look at us in a different frame.
0: Last couple for you. Um, do you like when the phone rings? Is there a moment when the phone rings from one of your on-ground people over there over there at Cobar and they go, and you think this is going to be a good phone call, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one? Or do you look at the when the phone rings and go, oh, I wasn't expecting this call?
1: That's a, we have a rule, and I've had a rule now for quite a long time, particularly in my corporate life, no surprises ever, okay. And and that means if things are going wrong, you're better to tell me sooner and give ourselves a runway to fix the problem. The only surprise that's permitted is the phone call. Mike, I think we've got 15 meters and it's all brassy yellow. And brassy yellow, Tim is chalcopyrite. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I look. If I get a call at six o'clock at night or for you know late or something, which I haven't had. Uh, uh, recently, um, then, yeah, there's a sense of trepidation. But if I know that where our drilling's at and I'm I'm set up for the positive call. I had one a a couple of weeks ago and we reported it, so I do enjoy them.
0: Okay, so why have people listening to this podcast and then people who tell people who tell people tell us that you should get involved in in Helix and... Get on get on and get involved. Uh, is there something we can be excited about very
1: soon? Look, I, I think Helix is unique in that we are focused on the one project area. Now, some people take a diversity a view of it. Oh, no, I'd like to have a lithium project in Argentina and I or a project there. A junior company with a modest balance sheet, I just don't think, and modest resources in terms of people, etc. I've chosen for Helix to be focused there. So what that gives our investors is at the moment, a cheap entry to that explosive return you can get when you hit the 20 metres of the brassy yellow stuff. And you get the phone call. And that's the leverage. And we saw it in May of 21, five times increase in the share price. We're poised for that kind of excitement again. And if we communicate clearly, people can follow the story so they get engaged. So they want to have some fun, want to make some money, maybe Helix is an opportunity.
0: Love that pitch. Mike Rosenstrike, Helix Resources Managing Director. I hope you've enjoyed the ASX Market Goss podcast. Thanks for coming in, and uh, we look forward to seeing how Helix uh, evolves again over the next 24 months and even five years. Thanks for coming in.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, and hold me accountable, please.
0: We hope you enjoyed our chat with Mike Rosenstripe from Helix Resources. In our next edition of ASX Market Goss, I'll be providing you with another rare insight into an executive leading one of the companies you might be invested in to get the goss on what makes them tick and why they do what they do. Don't forget, you can follow us on a number of platforms, ASX Market Goss on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, and rss.com. Follow us, like us. Make a comment. We want your feedback. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of the material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other professional advice. ASX Market Goss and its employees are not financial advisors you should consider seeking independent legal, financial taxation or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by ASX Market Goss or any third party to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction
1: in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under securities laws of such jurisdiction.